Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show, where we explore spiritual ideas and books that help you live a better life. Hosted by spiritual teacher and author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, Jason Napolitano. Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. It's Sunday. I am your host, Jason Napolitano, and I have Chris Sheridan on the line as well. How are you doing, Chris? Doing great. Awesome to be here. Awesome. Thank you for being here. I'm excited about this show today. And we are here every Sunday with a new episode. We look into spiritual books and spiritual ideas. Uh, we are both teachers in, these, in this area. Uh, Chris has a book called uh, The Spirit in the Sky, which is available on Amazon. So check that out. I have a book called If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. That's available on Amazon as well. Uh, or on my website, CosmicEye.org. His book is available on his website as well, which is ChrisSheridan.com. Today... Uh, I'm pretty excited. Mr. Manley Hall's The Secret Teachings of All Ages, otherwise known as being an interpretation of the secret teachings concealed within the mysteries of the ages, the secret teachings of all ages, or an encyclopedic outline of Masonic, Hermetic, Kabbalistic, and Rosicrucian symbolical philosophy. The end. God bless him. And that, and I've that read shorter books. Thanks for, thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Um, we're looking forward to jumping into this. We're doing what I think will be um, most likely a, a three-part series, at least to start. We'd like to go through and do uh, many more chapters of this book because it's such a worthwhile book to study. And if you're a Manly Hall fan or an occult uh, fan into esoteric things of any, any type, uh, he really covers everything in this book. And it's just a fantastic starting point. For, for discussions, and it opens up so many different great ideas. Uh, so we're going to start actually with part one. Now, part one will you a little bit, because there is a part one, Roman numeral part one, which is actually the introduction we are not doing. The introduction is, a, is an overview of philosophy spanning how many years? 3,000 years or something? 3,000 or as long as far back as we have record. Right, and about... 30 or 40 pages and it's an excellent overview of western philosophy up to modern times and i highly recommend it and you do as well do you not i do and it's a really concise overview because there's hundreds of philosophers in a really short amount of time and it's mainly just a yeah. one-liner well so-and-so believed that you know uh, fire was the primary element someone else believed it was wind uh and going all through even yeah. more modern contemporary, uh, at least in the early part of the 20th century. Philosophers, yeah, I, mean, I think the point to... is, um, is, is to get this survey of what's been out there in the Western philosophic tradition. And I think what he's laying out is a groundwork for the rest of the book and maybe making a distinction. I don't think maybe, I think maybe actually making a distinction between you know, what is philosophy with a capital P and, and what is so-and-so's philosophy? Well, that's something Kierkegaard or Nietzsche or yeah, uh, well, that's, that's, that's what uh, yeah. Descartes would say. Uh, sure, sure. Cartesian, you know, we, we can put a label on things, whereas even though there were people who believed certain things in the ancient Greeks and, and, and the area around there, uh, that the philosophy was, it's an entryway of looking at ourselves and the world that we inhabit 
Yeah. Um, you know, really kind it's of great free of, of a particular brand. You could say the same thing about religion as, you know, a universal you know, connection with a supreme deity sure. or even science and inquiry into the physical world. Uh, but you start breaking it down and labeling it is kind of when you get these problems. So I think he's laying out a case for uh, maybe the playing field from which we're going to look at symbolic philosophy. That's a great way to put it. And I think also uh, it's a nice uh, it's a nice section to read uh, to sort of contextualize historically kind of where things are on a timeline. Uh, but it's not really anything that specifically we necessarily need to drill down into it's a pretty good overview and i think that he does a great job at at explaining the things and so there's really not that i mean there's a lot to go into but i am not an expert on on on, on ancient philosophy or modern philosophy so i won't really add much he he is an expert so we let him do the talking but what we both are pretty pretty good in is the uh the esoteric stuff and so that's what we're going to tackle first was actually Section two, it's Roman numeral two. Uh, it goes, there's, there's three parts of it. We're going to look at part one of, of Roman numeral two section called the ancient mysteries and secret societies, which have influenced modern Masonic symbolism. So we will get into a little of the modern uh, symbolism and the influences uh, that the ancients uh, as we go along, but mostly we're just going to kind of break this thing down and, and look at what's in here and get into some of the fun stuff that's in uh, and then kind of set up uh, what um, the mysteries were, what secret societies were and are. Uh, we're going to look at uh, a little bit uh, of an intro to the Druids. We're going to look at the literal versus symbolic. And then we're going to go into uh, Christianity and the cult of Mithras and how that influenced uh, Christianity and the, and the Roman world. So that, that should be pretty fun and not necessarily in that order. Cause I think I actually, uh, uh, we'll go through literal versus symbolic before I enter the it. So without any further ado, let's jump right into this. So secret societies, mystery schools, what are they? Do you have a quick answer for that? I have some well, neat stuff that I wrote sure. down. But, uh, well, essentially yeah. there were two, types of learning. Uh, there was two types of worship and there were two types of symbols in the ancient world. And a lot of people knew that they had dual meanings and that there were two learning pathways. One was for the masses and it's out front, it's in the public square and you can see the statue of Athena or any other um, deity and you can bring the offering and have your public worship and you know, just like today, we have preachers and theologians that, you know, give you the message of the day, and it's kind of fed to you. Then there's the other side of it, and that's the secret side that has the ancient knowledge uh, being kept. And it's not so much that's being kept from the masses. It's just that the masses aren't geared. They're not really qualified to do it. So they would find it frustrating and probably boring. And, and really wouldn't help them. They're much better off for the, the public part of it. And then this secret side was to hold some of the more complex ideas and principles that would be lost on your everyday citizen, uh, but only somebody who has had the time and the training and the dedication, and in many cases proven uh, their oath of loyalty and secrecy 
uh, to be able to be sure. uh, handed off these mysteries. So in some way, it's keeping it from the public, but in the other way, it's also keeping it alive. And sometimes to keep something alive, you kind sure. of have to keep it sequestered and protected. Then it will live and it won't be subject to some of the everyday adjustments or amendments mm. um, that, uh, you know, you can just even tell Christianity, it's, it's shaped and yep. shifted in, even in the last hundred years. So this secret thing keeps it hopefully pure to its original source and it keeps it available for the, those who know what it is and know how to use it and pass it along. And it does find its way into the public sphere, although it comes yep. through ways in which the general public maybe isn't um, aware of. Aware. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. The, uh, the other uh, as you were speaking about, and we'll get into this a bit more, but uh, the, the exoteric versus the esoteric side of things. So the exoteric or the outer sort of understanding what might, might uh, be that what will be thought of as a literal interpretation of something, a sort of surface view of it, whereas an esoteric interpretation or esoteric would be the, the inner or the secret or the hidden knowledge. And so most of those schools were set up with esoteric as well as exoteric orders so that one had to start in the exoteric outer order, the so-called outer order, and then work one's way into the inner order through a series of initiations. Uh, one of the things that's interesting about it is most of them were today, or excuse me, were in the ancient times and are today uh, three, three levels, three grades, three degrees. Um, usually there's some sort of, uh, sort of a neophyte and then sort of a middle ground and then a sort of a master in, in Freemasonry. It's uh, fellow craft and master mason. Um, for example, in the Golden Dawn, a magical term based on Kabbalah, uh, there's, an, th there's three levels there's a, that consist of neophyte where you're a basic level, sort of pro probationer. Um, and order and then an inner order which has more more steps but essentially it's it's broken into three three sort of stages and uh one of the things i was thinking about as i was reading this is is why why the number three you know why mm -hmm. these these three steps and uh you know there's a lot of symbolism obviously with three but one of the things that i that i i know and a, a very basic interpretation of it is in masonry is that it equals uh, the three stages equal the stages in a man's life. So you have basically youth, sort of middle age, and then, or excuse me, adulthood, I guess they'd call it, and then, and then age or wisdom. That would, that would represent, you know, Master Mason would be the old age uh, wisdom phase. Fellow craft would be the adult, and then the entered apprentices is like a youth. So it represents sort of a, a maturation process. A lot of them also base it on uh, a sort of idea of, of uh, birth, life, and then death and rebirth as kind of a, as kind of its own level, things like that. So those are some of the three, uh, the threes that, that I that I've ran across. There's a ton more. Does does anything do any does that resonate with you at all? Are there is there anything you, you've come across in in your studies about three or the levels, the importance of three in those in those grades? Well, it's so present in so many traditions. Um, three, and there's the Trinity. There's the the Hindu um, the Trinity with um, you know the Brahma 
um, Vishnu and Shiva. Um, there's a completion. There's body, mind, and spirit. Uh, might relate to the novice, um, you know, the kind of adulthood uh, for the mind yeah. and maybe spirit where you're more wisdom. And you're not so concerned with some of the, the body excursions or the, you know, lifelong learning of the mind where maybe at the third stage. So they build on each other. And, uh, and, but they also complete a whole together. And there's nothing more stable than a three-legged table. That's why we have tripods, not quadrupods. Because um, if one leg is shortened, well, the other two just compensate. You know, if you set it at sure, a sure. dinner table or something, you have to put a matchbook or a packet of sugar underneath one analogy. of the legs because it wobbles. Yeah. So, so there is this inherent stability in it. And uh, so it's that's a great that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, I like that. And the, and the three parts like are, are really stages that make a whole complete. But each one is appropriate for the stage. What's great for sure. the apprentice might not be good for the, uh, you know, for the master um, or exactly. it's all good for everybody. Yeah. But it's but this is when you have this. This is when you have that. And at this stage, you well, you speaking of that, else. you know, we. Exactly. And speaking of that, we've talked about that quite a bit today, especially with the Internet and with the availability of, of books on places like sacredtext.org and so forth. And how pretty much you can find any of the quote unquote secrets out there uh, today that any of these mystery schools, uh, uh, except the ancient ones, because a lot of those were not written down and there is no record of them because those initiates actually had the integrity not to tell the secrets. And we unfortunately don't seem to have that integrity. But the point is, is that, you know, you can find most of these, including Freemasonry secrets on online. But what, you know, I, I've heard a lot of Freemasons and a lot of people in these uh, initiatory groups say is that, you know, these mysteries and this quote unquote secret information that you can find online or that you can read in a book is not the true secret information. You have to go past that to really understand the truth. And so that's the beauty of, of these groups is that, yes, there's, there's quote unquote secrets to them. But I mean, the real secret is how you take that information, apply it to your own life and, and learn those, learn that wisdom and those lessons from, from the information that you get. And then you discover on your own what those secrets are. That's the true nature of secret, secret information. And then oftentimes people will talk about inner, inner spirit guides or, you know, they talk about teachers on the inner plane that, you know, once you've reached a certain level of meditation or of discipline and so on, that, you know, certain teachers might reach out psych psychically to you. I, you know, I can neither confirm nor deny this. However, there are many people who who are 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 of this belief. So, you know, that's an interesting thing about the that sort of secret nature is that, you know, it contains something that goes beyond what we would consider a secret uh, that just being some information that someone's hiding. Well, so sure. I, I think that's the secret. Sometimes the ability to recognize it um, has, has everything to do with who we are as an in individuals and you know, what training we have. Um, one, yeah. you know, very kind of present example is in Disney movies. Uh, it actually serves as a, uh, an example of this esoteric and exoteric or knowledge that's, for the masses and maybe knowledge it's a little more for the, you know, higher educated because in a Disney movie or Pixar or some of these, you know, kid movies, uh, there's, they're jumping around and bopping each other on the head or doing things that kids are just 
think it's hilarious. And you know, as an adult or parent, you're sitting there watching, okay, great. Um, then they throw in these little one-liners, these little zingers that only an adult would get, some obscure reference or something. goes right over the kid's head. They're not even concerned about it. It's just some grown-up talking. But then the adults start laughing because it, they coded this, uh, you know, because they know parents take their kids to movies. But, sure, sure. So in the same movie, yeah. you know, two different groups that are completely different educated. You have a, you know, nine-year-old or a six-year-old, and, uh, and you have a 35-year-old or somebody uh, they're both getting something out of it. They're getting different things out of it because they're four different people, the different segments or the different you know, lines of dialogue. So it's kind sure, of a cool example, a great point. but it's, but it is, it's, no, it's, it it's something sense, that's, it's, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, it reminds me of the line that's at the fir- in the first section of the book where he talks about St. Paul talking about, you know, milk for babes and meat for strong men. It's like, you, you know, you kind of give, people what they what they're ready to hear in essence and uh, that's i think the mystery schools were set up in order to do just that to teach people at the level they were at and then take them further than they they thought that they might be able to go getting back to that though the idea of these secret societies and these mystery schools um you know some people might not be familiar with them that are listening what we're really referring to were these religious organizations um, I'm just, I'll just quote Manly Hall. He said, these individuals were usually banded together, forming seclusive, philosophic, and religious schools. The more important of these groups were known as the mysteries. Many of the great minds of antiquity were initiated into these secret fraternities by strange and mysterious rites, some of which were extremely cruel. Alexander Wilder defines the mysteries as sacred dramas performed at stated periods. The most celebrated were those of Isis, Sabazius, Siebel, Eleusis. Of course, there's the Orphic Mysteries, there's Freemasonry, there's the Pythagorean school and so forth. I mean, there's, there's, were thousands of these different um, mystery schools operating in the ancient world. And they were extremely popular with the people. And they were designed to train people in wisdom, essentially. Um, and Manley Hall pointed out in a book that I would highly recommend, we were, we were talking about this earlier, called The Adepts in the Esoteric Classical Tradition. It's a series of books. Part one is The Initiates of Greece and Rome. If you can get a copy of this online, it's a fantastic book. Um, is it available on, uh, on that Manley Hall download site? Or did you? Or did no, you... it's not on that. No. It's actually okay. available through the PRS, um, and I think they sell okay. it on Amazon. So, so it's commercially available from the source. Okay. Oh, very good. All right. So it's called the Adepts in Esoteric Classical in... Tradition by Manley Hall, Part One: Initiates of Greece and Rome. But Manley Hall points out um, really the the purpose of these groups and kind of what they were what they were designed to 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 do, the sort of functionality of them, and what he calls uh, that is the of the mysteries in other words what is kind of the mission of these things and and essentially he he defines these three levels of of uh of purposes number one the redemption of all sentient beings that was the pur- one of the purposes the second was the restoration of the universal religion and third was the reformation of human society in, in general when he speaks about the universal religion we're really talking about that ancient wisdom that's often called the golden thread or the golden chain or you hear about archetypal universal ideas and really uh in the esoteric world what you're talking about is a wisdom that goes back to ancient times pre 
pre-flood antediluvian times is really what they're talking about. And if it's, you know, if you're speaking in the world of, of theosophy or the Blavatsky uh, type thinking, that would be the Atlantean and Lemurian and other epochs that uh, existed uh, prior to prior to ours, uh, where this ancient wisdom was brought brought forward uh, in hidden ways, and the, and that was another one of the main main functions of these these mystery schools and these secret societies was to keep that flame of wisdom alive in every generation. Um, do you have anything to add to that? Well, that's that is the reason you know keeping the sacred secret um, to protect it, and yeah. It's, um, again, it, the benefit for uh, the public or for the uninitiated uh, still can come through because, you know, this reason for having these mystery schools, a reason for keeping this sacred knowledge and, and also perpetuating it. They were keeping it alive generation to generation to generation um, because it's important and it does get put into use. Um, by the people who have it and have it to use, uh, that that would somehow disseminate and get, uh, you know, distilled out into uh, the public realm, if it were senators in uh, Rome um, that, you know, had the training. Um, they also had, they were in a position to pass laws. And the idea was that, you know, people that had a little more power to influence, uh, that had to be tempered with wisdom uh, otherwise, it just is. If it's unbridled, you'll just turn into a you know like a Caesar or something that's uh, you know mad with sure. power. Um, but it also informs the decisions because they are uh, they're not just it's not just knowledge. It's it's the great ethics of of society, uh, the yeah. ideals of of humanity uh, that are contained in these mysteries as well. Uh, and as long as they're not misused, um, and as long as they are used properly, uh, they can benefit generation after generation in in any time. Uh, the yeah, that's a great that's a great point. And I think uh, one of the things that uh, that that Manly Hall quotes from is um, Robert McCoy's uh, book. He was a thirty third degree Mason. He has a, a book called General History of Freemasonry, which is an excellent resource. And he talks about uh, he talks about these secret societies and, and mystery schools. And he wrote that it appears that all the perfection of civilization and all the advancement made in philosophy, science, and art among the ancients are due to these institutions, which under the veil of mystery sought to illustrate the sublimest truths of religion, morality, and virtue, and impress them on the hearts of their disciples. Their chief object was to teach the doctrine of one God the resurrection of man to eternal life, the dignity of the human soul, and to lead the people to see the shadow of deity in the beauty, magnificence, and splendor of the universe. Well, well written, Mr. McCoy. Wow. But that's a, that's a really eloquent way of, of kind of describing what these, what these schools did and, and still do today. I mean, many of them are still alive in these other institutions. I mean, Freemasonry, quite a bit of the ancient uh, mysteries in it. We'll touch on a couple of those things uh, a little bit down the line. Uh, but much of the ritual is based on the Greek uh, mystery traditions and the Roman mystery traditions, uh, Greek and Roman philosophy and symbolism. So, you know, Freemasonry has it. There are many magical groups today that have a fraternal structure that are based on 
um, Freemasonry, such as, like I mentioned earlier, the Golden Dawn, uh, the OTO, uh, Paul Foster Case's BOTA, which still exists in Los Angeles. So these are some of the modern versions. They're certainly not as uh, as as rough and challenging as the uh, as the ancient schools were. No one is being put in a a, bo a boat and without a sail on it and expected to to live through uh, live through an ordeal or thrown down into a, a pit with a with a tiger or some some other such trials. But you know they have their own symbolic uh, symbolic initiatory rites that they do, and I think these are valuable things that are still uh, that still exist today and can teach one uh, more about these these schools. So, moving along, we're going to talk a little bit about the Druids. There is a section on the Druids. We were going to skip this, but I just wanted to cover it really briefly because the Druids are interesting and important, and who doesn't know Stonehenge uh, from either seeing it in a picture or uh, from Spinal Tap. So um, what was that? What's, what's that line when they bring it down? I can't. Do you have any good stone Stonehenge lines from that movie that you remember off the top of your head? Because I, I, they're escaping hey. me at the moment, but I just remember. Yeah, I was just that they had the proportions wrong and it was 18 inches instead of 18 the, feet tall. And it was at risk of being feet. That's right. you know, trampled on by dwarves. Being grappled on stage, right? That's right. That's right. I love. I just. I love that scene when they they expect this majestic model of Stonehenge, and instead it's like the size of a, a birth, a large birthday cake or something. Yeah. So, genius, genius stuff. All right. So, at any rate, the the Druids uh, were were an ancient uh, an ancient race of people who lived in in Britain and Gaul. Gaul is ancient France, um, and they lived. According to the Romans, who took them over and actually ruled the area from about 43 A.D. to 410 A.D., I think. Uh, the, I mean, the British were there earlier, but they had trouble beating back the Celts and so forth, which you can see in uh, that's Braveheart, is it not? I believe so. Which, yeah. Um, so this is the ancient the ancient race of people that lived uh, in, in that area. But their religious system and their uh, their priests were called druids. The druids were also set up in sort of a three level system or hierarchy, which Manly Hall notes is very similar to Blue Lodge Masonry, which we talked about earlier, uh, which is the outer kind of Freemasonry order uh, that most people are familiar with. But the druids had ovates, bards, and druids as their levels, and that was their kind of initiate and then the sort of you know, fellow craft in the middle, and then the master mason would be the druid, the equivalents of those. Um, and they existed uh, quite powerfully, apparently, uh, for for hundreds, if not thousands of years before the Romans showed up and had a very sophisticated religion, had a very sophisticated uh, system of medicine, herbs, uh, science, geography, natural theology, astrology and astronomy um we do know that uh most likely stonehenge was used for some sort of uh astrological or astronomical uh correspondence and 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 also for some sort of religious ritual purpose i mean they still don't know exactly what it was used for but i i know there's a lot of theories um that it, it ties to different phases of 
where stars are and things like that, right? I mean, it has a, it has those connections to it, does well, it not? They were definitely the druids um, deeply connected with nature, so um, yeah. it's easy to to, to see a, a possible link between uh, you know Wiccan and you know more nature based traditions um, oh, yeah, that have an affinity yeah, for the, the druids because and you mentioned you know the plants and the medicine that's part of that being connected with nature had to do with medicine and these herbs and healing uh, you know the pharmacology of nature um, they were very yeah. very interested it wasn't all that abstract although there's plenty of abstract thought uh, with principles sure. and, and uh, you know things like that but there's uh, you know, definitely the very practical and literally down to earth where they were planting things. So things with, you know, harvest uh, ceremonies, planting rituals, moons and seasons, equinoxes, you know, those were sure. Uh, it, it wasn't just some symbolic thing. They had a very yeah. uh, practical connection with the, with the land and, and growing these, um, these you know, healing plants. That's a great point. And, and, and I think a lot, uh, actually a lot of, um, of the people that are interested in neo-paganism uh, today, especially in uh, Scotland and Wales and Ireland and England and uh, the UK proper, um, are interested in 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 a lot of uh, these kind of ancient ideas uh, that are are I think based on a lot of uh, uh, what the Druids uh, were supposed to have done or or did. Uh, there's not a huge amount of information about them. A lot of it is speculative, unfortunately, because they uh, they didn't write down uh, much of anything. So most of their their uh, their lore, their mythology, their rituals, their knowledge was passed from uh, uh, disciple to to uh, or from from uh, teacher to disciple. And so, you know, you would have to memorize those things, much like in uh, in Africa or in uh, a lot of other oral cultures um, around the world, they, they had a pretty, uh, it, well, not a pretty, they had an oral culture. So until the, the, the Romans came, there wasn't a system of writing, I don't think, to write that, that, that worked down. Am I, am I right about that or am I stretching a little bit? Maybe they had to, well, and they did have a, a system of writing, and they just didn't write things down. Are, are there? Are there? Is there alphabets prior to 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 I, Latin? Well, as far as I mean, you know, runes and, and uh, you know, symbolic uh, language uh, markings, you know, okay. symbols. Good point. Would have been yeah. would have been strong, but uh, but as far as uh, you know, more alphabetized, um, and then like a book <laughs> of rules or. Okay. Um, I don't think there's, yeah, there isn't much. Whereas, you know, in ancient Greeks, you know, there's stone fragments. Yeah. Um, of incomplete works, but there is existing, you know, set in stone. Uh, maybe they were written sure. on something that was less uh, durable if, if they were uh, written down. Um, but I think maybe there's something about if you do write something down, then somebody can take it or steal it, or it can fall into the hands of somebody who wouldn't know first of all, what to do with it, but certainly wouldn't know how to work it and could endanger themselves and others. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a good point. And that, that's, that was, uh, that was something that ran through all of these uh, secret societies and, and mystery schools uh, was that idea of, uh, of the, uh, this, the, the knowledge being powerful and sort of keeping it 
from the profane you know it's like not throwing your pearls before before swine like jesus said i mean i think that there's a there's just there's a there's a power to to the respect of the knowledge that i think today we don't really grasp because information is so cheaply easily and you know 24 7 available um for most of the time for free actually not even cheaply but free freely so you know, so that does, know that's that not we, where it's hidden now. Now the secret yeah. is in what this stuff is and how to use it. What does it mean? Yeah, exactly. Ancient exactly. times, people understood symbolism a lot more because it, it was very near to them. Uh, here with exactly. because of written language and, oh, this is history and these are the facts and everything. We lose the symbol. We want to know what's the answer. Well, I want to know the wisdom. Yeah. The times I worked at PRS years ago, people said, okay, yeah, this is... This is the library. Where's the secret stuff? Where's the, where's the secret class? When's that being held? Sure. sure and exactly. it's not that, you know, everyone wants to know the secret knowledge. Just like when somebody gets into martial arts, the first thing they want to learn is a flying roundhouse kick. And that's <laughs> pr- probably yeah. something you want to work up to. It looks cool. Uh, but yeah. it, it's, it's not day one kind of stuff. And, and, sure, just, exactly. and it's not that you're keeping, you know, the profane from the sacred uh, that it's some judgment call. It's you wouldn't let somebody untrained in the cockpit of an airliner. Uh, sure, sure. You know, you, it's it's for somebody that has training um, because it's an important job and there are risks involved. And it takes that. It's not that you're not welcome. It's just that you're just not trained. You don't have the skills, and um, and they don't want somebody getting going into the cockpit. Who doesn't have the necessary no, it's a, it's a great skills? Point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a profession in a way. If you look at it like that, is sure. it, it is a professional um, degree or skill that that requires uh, training. Um, and you know, you look at a even just like a fighter pilot, <laughs> an average run of the mill um, Air Force fighter pilot. Uh, for every one of those, there's there are dozens that didn't make it that far. They flunked out of flight training for whatever reason, or they got airsick, and well, can't have that for a fighter pilot. So. Um, there are many reasons to fail <laughs> along the way and the ones yeah, that yeah. are able to check off the boxes and, uh, you know, well, sure. And themselves. I think that that's, yeah, exactly. And I think that was one of the important ways of sort of vetting candidates. And a lot of that stuff today, people see as, as sort of elitism or they see it as some kind of, uh, you know, block to keep them out because of this or that reasoning in their minds, you know, it's because I'm this or because I'm that, that they're keeping me out. But I mean, I think oftentimes uh, the reason for these these you know sort of challenging, initiatory, uh, and oath sort of driven uh, groups was that they were really testing people to see if you kind of had what it takes. Almost like becoming like a, a ranger or a green beret or something. It's like not everyone is going to be able to to cut it, you know, in, in terms of you know the higher levels of spirituality. It does put a it, it is a it is a test. It does get very challenging when you start digging into yourself and digging into the mysteries of the universe to a great degree. And not not everyone's up for it. I mean, if someone's kind of marginally mentally ill, it could kind of push them over the edge. If if someone has a lot of, of issues or complex with, it can push buttons and and so on. So you know, you do have to be a pretty self-aware person to be able to delve into a lot of this stuff and i think really that's what they were trying to do is keep people safe and you know keep the keep the information sort of sacred and holy in in the sense that the people that 
got a hold of it, knew how to use it properly and were prepared for it. I mean, like in a sense, like, like higher mathematics or something, you're not going to go from, you know, basic arithmetic and then jump into some kind of differential calculus or something or, you know, abstract, discrete mad mathematics or what, whatever. I mean, I don't even know the names of these things. I, I you know, I, I, that's I, abstract. I, I, I've, I've, I've flown geometry. So okay. that's, you know, so I need to go back to the sacred mysteries and, and study. Pythagoras well, there's also a danger in, his, in skipping in steps. Geometry. Along sure, the way. absolutely. You know, even if you're prepared absolutely. for the first two, if you just want to skip ahead, um, in addiction, uh, twelve-step uh, recovery, it, it's called doing the two-step, where you start at step one, you skip straight to step twelve. Um, <laughs> you don't do all <laughs> yeah. the all the stuff sure. inside. You know, again, it's and like for those who for those who don't know, what are what are steps one and twelve? Well, one is admitting that you're powerless over okay. uh, this force of alcohol. And the uh, the twelfth step is to um, to carry the message to others out there still suffering. Just carry the message. So you, have, you yeah. haven't done any of the work. On day one, you're, gonna, you're not getting the message. Yeah. You have to. Right. You, know, you got the memo to get there, but as you yeah. go through your process, then you can of course sponsor somebody and then carry the message to uh, those still right. suffering. But the, the messenger has to be prepared. Uh, Great analogy. You know, Great for that. analogy. All right, so jumping ahead, uh, I would like to spend more time on the Druids, but uh, we need to move move forward, and we kind of got on a tangent anyway. So let's get into Mithras and the Mithraic uh, connection to the Christian mysteries. I'm going to start by reading uh, a little section here um, that Manly Hall quotes. The fraternal and democratic spirit of the first communities and their humble origin, the identification of the object of adoration with light in the sun, the legends of the shepherds with their gifts and adoration, the flood in the ark, the representation in art of the fiery chariot, the drawing of water from the rock, the holy water and the communion, the sanctification of Sunday and the 25th of December, the insistence of moral conduct, the emphasis placed on abstinence and self-control, doctrine of heaven and hell, mediation of the logos emanating from the divine, the atoning sacrifice, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on and on. These are all things that uh, the uh, cult of Mithras and the Mithraic mysteries had in, in common with early Christian mysteries. So you can see there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of sort of spillover between, between the two, certainly. Uh, and, you know, I, at one time I do believe that there were, there were more people um, practicing Mithraism um, that were initiated in the cult of Mithras than there were uh, Christians in its in its early days. In fact, I think uh, it, it it probably uh, had a probably uh, it had a greater chance of becoming a a popular religion if it were not for the zeal of the early Christians and their their martyrdom and so forth, and then later uh, uh, the adoption of uh, Constantine's uh, uh, Christianity and so. Forth. It probably would have, probably would have been a dom the, the dominant religion uh, of of the region. Uh, many of the Romans, uh, especially the soldiers, and a lot of the uh, the hierarchy of uh, of the upper maybe were initiated into this into this mystery. Um, so it was quite uh, prevalent in uh, in the Roman world in the days of early Christianity and that being after Jesus's death into, you know, one, two, 300 AD, um, up until the time of, uh, Constantine. So Manley Hall points out that, uh, 
the Mithraic uh, initiation was also a three three degree type initiation, which is interesting. Again, linking it to uh, to to Freemasonry. So, in the first degree, a candidate was given a crown upon the point of a sword, instructed in the mysteries of Mithra's hidden power. And in the second, he was um, he was given an armor. He was given armor. And that uh, symbolized uh, intelligence and purity. And he was sent to the darkness of subterranean pits to fight the beasts of lust, passion, and degeneracy. And in third degree, he was given a cape upon which were drawn or woven the signs of the zodiac and other astronomical symbols. So again, all uh, symbolic levels of, 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 of learning and understanding. Um, so, but th this is an interesting point that he makes who successfully passed the Mithraic initiations were called lions and were marked upon their foreheads with the Egyptian cross. Mithras himself is oft, often pictured with the head of a lion and two pairs of wings. And then he talks about uh, in the, uh, there's a grip of a lion's paw or a lion in the Master Mason's degree um, that uh, probably originated from that cult of Mithras. And then also there's a, a ladder in, in masonry. It's a seven seven rung ladder that they use that they also probably used in Mithraic initiation as well. So those are both interesting, uh, and interesting the lion, connections. The line symbol uh, relating to the sun as well. Yeah. Good point. Uh, you know, a sun God. So that good. comes through. It's interesting how he, he did mention, all mentioned in this passage, how um, the cult of Mithras um, in some ways uh, is a, simplified version of Zoroastrianism, the Persian mm. fire magician, uh, Zarathustra. Yeah. Uh, and that yeah. it was very strong in Persia and science kind of at the same time historically when Christianity was, was finding its footing in the Mediterranean, uh, you have this, you know, the Persian empire invaded Italy and that there's, uh, you know, this, you know, one of the good things, I guess, is this cross, you know, connection with different traditions. So it kind of spilled in and helped uh, help the rise of this, uh, this cult uh, from, you know, the Persian roots were actually coming in to it. And again, like, you know, some of the Druid uh, principles, and we see it again in uh, the cult of myth, uh, the Mithraic cults is this connection to December 25th and being crucified and rising after uh, three days relating to the the um, this winter solstice and the stopping yeah. of the sun. Uh, so you know the sun and the lion. You know a lot of lot of um, you know, very connected things. But it's interesting that maybe some of that influence came in when Christianity was still a little open and you know finding its footing. So it it sure. worked its that's way a, in that's there. A great point. Yeah, no, definitely. And there's, you know, it's interesting because throughout all of these, these different traditions, the solar deities are, are pretty prominent. And even in, uh, in Freemasonry, there's a story about Hiram, who's, uh, who's killed by some ruffians and buried and resurrected and so forth. It kind of goes along with the same sort of symbolism. Um, it's, it's interesting that uh, it plays such a large part in the in the symbolic nature of, of of all these things we've been talking about, and you know we can't really do it justice in the short amount of time that we have here. But sure, but that's a that's a very important part. So the thing that uh, 
that I found uh, really great about this set, the 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 way that he was able to kind of tie all these things together with these with these different uh, ancient and, and modern groups, particularly Freemasonry. But like I said, many of the modern groups today do still try to uh, emulate uh, the lessons and the wisdom of these ancient Greek, Roman, Egyptian, Persian, et cetera, et cetera, uh, mystery religions and uh, secret societies. And they do have a certain um, initiatory plan that usually includes three levels. And there's usually things that need to be learned and memorized and there's secret information and so on. So one really does want to, you know, try to experience a, a mystery group today. It is, I mean, Freemasonry is one good example. There are, there are others if you look on online and so, and so on uh, that still exist today. Like I said, BOTA is one, which is in Los Angeles. There is various Golden Dawn and, groups and and theosophy in some ways has some 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 group work that they do uh, not as much as they used to but you know you can look around and find modern modern mystery groups of course you're not going to find the level of of intensity that that it had in the ancient world because we live more complicated lives and of course liability does not allow us to do these excruciating you know, initiatory rituals with people, it would be too dangerous and it would open people up to lawsuits and so on. But you can get this in, in a lot of ways, or you can create your own, your own rituals and your own, um, your own initiatory rites for yourself. A lot of people do that. I mean, there's Native American uh, groups that get together and do that sort of thing. I mean, there's obviously all the Afro-Caribbean stuff, mm -hmm. uh, Santeria and, and, Candomblé and so forth that, that have these initiatory uh, type type formats. And I, I think there's value in these groups and I think there's things, things to learn. I mean, watch out for the bad ones and, you know, read, read up and so on, but, but there's definitely something to learn and they certainly echo these, these ancient wisdoms that we've been speaking about today. So they're, they're definitely worth checking out well, um, and getting involved with if, if you're, you know, if you're so inclined. And we do live in the age of self-initiation. Um, could use a little more direction and guidance. And it's great that sure. there are uh, organizations to uh, be part of. But um, one thing we may want to reiterate is uh, what is the value the importance and the reason for having um, these dramas or these uh, symbolic plays, uh, these rites, these rituals uh, that play out. They're almost like stage plays where you're recreating um, an event or uh, some sort of process. Uh, one simple yeah. one is, you know, you, you lie in a coffin and they close the lid and turn the lights off and come back in a couple hours and you haven't freaked out. Well, you've had some little teeny experience with death. It's not real death, but it's, yeah, but it's, yeah. but we're but involved in the a, body. It's a symbolic taste. And you're exactly, and this is where mysticism and, these mystery schools uh, become very much a process, a thing that you do. It's an act, that it's an action, like athletic uh, ability, uh, you know, musical or any other kind of artistic skill. Those are developed by doing it. Yes, you have masters who teach you, and yes, you can learn on your own and learn online and things, but you really get better by doing it yourself. 
And you're so to be, otherwise people could just talk about a drama or talk about something, but when they put a blindfold on you and you're spun around or you know, whatever the, uh, you know, these take people out in, in the woods for three days and, you know, actually very yeah. much, you know, strong physical survival, but, you, but you've had the sure. experience. You feel like, you know, like a yeah, roller coaster exactly. is an experience. It's a little passive, but wow, it's dynamic because your body went mm -hmm. through that. <laughs> you could talk Absolutely. about it, but it's not the same. So, yeah, no, that, you make a great point. You make a great point. The, the, the visceral aspect to it is something that, that is often missing, especially in our, our screen obsessed lives today, you know, that we do need to get out there and mix it up and feel and be immersed in water or sit on a cold rock to feel the earth or, you know, sit out in the hot sun and feel thirsty just to mm -hmm. remember that we're creatures of this earth. Well, even you know, baptisms we from it. Mm -hmm. Sure. Absolutely. They absolutely. become a little watered down, so to speak. Um, yeah. Forgive the pun, but I tried uh, in that, you know, okay. So you close your eyes, you hold your nose and somebody oh, sure. eyes, and dunks you and then you're back up again. I think a long time ago in some places, they actually kept you under there for a little while until you're a little kind of starting to scream. Oh, they and, did. And squirm. Absolutely. And then when yep. they pull you and it's all controlled and it's safe, this isn't really a dangerous thing, but you get, yeah. oh, you're almost like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I can breathe again. Um, it, yeah. it becomes, wow, this is the stuff of life. And, you know, I was sure. kind of close to an edge or at least I was near it. And, you know, your body feels it because it was deprived of something it needs every minute to live. And uh, so, yeah, your, your experience with it. Now, if somebody is just watching it or you're telling somebody, oh, yeah, we're going to dunk in water. Okay, well, so what? That means nothing. Yeah. If, yeah. if you understand the the symbolism behind it and the meaning uh and then you go through the ritual yourself you're gonna have a completely different understanding uh that can't be described no exactly that's that's a, that's an excellent way to put it all right so unfortunately that about does it for our time today we have been talking about part two of the secret teachings which is the section roman numeral two the ancient mysteries and secret societies which have influenced modern masonic symbolism and that's parts part one section of part of of you know roman numeral two section next week we're going to do part two um and that covers actually i'm sorry yeah part two but it's going to read roman numeral section three so it's, it's a little bit confusing the way the book is laid out that's in the reader's edition it might be yes. a little different in the in the big book i think it actually sticks to the correct numbering but mm -hmm. uh at either Either way, the, uh, it is the Ancient Mysteries and Secret Societies, the three-part section that we're looking at. So next week, we'll be looking at two, which is Christian and Pagan Gnosticism, early days uh, of that, and uh, Greco-Egyptian uh, Mystery Systems, Serapis, and Odinic Mysteries, and other great stuff. So... Do join us for that. This was our ninth podcast, so we're excited to be here, and we're excited that you're listening and supporting us here at uh, Cosmic Eye. So please uh, do tune in next week uh, for, for our next episode. And uh, I am your host, Jason Napolitano, author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. And we have also here Chris Sheridan, and he is the author of The Spirit in the Sky. Both of our books uh, are available online on Amazon or at chrisheridan.com or cosmiceye.com, excuse me, .org in my case. So please join us again next week. And thank you and God bless. Thank you for listening. And please join us next Sunday for a new episode of Cosmic Eye.
You can purchase If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate at Amazon.com or through our website, CosmicEye.org.